Welcome to the Need More Buffs podcast, the unofficial Lightseekers podcast sponsored by DeliveryCrab.com. DeliveryCrab.com, your number one source for Lightseekers cards and three points of healing. Welcome back, Seekers, to episode 29 of Need More Buffs. I am your host, Matt Sonnenberg. This week, we have another first for the show. This is going to be our first time hosting a game store owner. I know we've had game store employees on, we've had former game store owners, but Nick is going to be our first current game store owner who's stocking light seekers and loving it. Nick runs TPK Gaming down in Glen Ellen, Illinois, and I first met him at PAX East, where he took second place in the constructed tournament with his Cassini deck. So I needed to talk to Nick and find out what's going on with this deck and what is making Lightseekers work so well at his game store. The show notes for this episode, including the deck list that Nick shares with us, as well as any links we mention, any videos we talk about, can all be found at deliverycrab.com slash 029. That's deliverycrab.com slash 029. With that being said, I think it's time to get on into the interview. Welcome to the show, Nick. How are you doing today? Ah, doing good, doing good. Glad to you. hear it. <laughs> I'm doing well as well. I met you at PAX East. I believe our mutual friend Willie had something to do with that. Yes. Yes, that was an interesting thing. Um, <laughs> so we pretty much learned to play Light Seekers about two weeks, three weeks beforehand from one of their... Uh, visionaries mm -hmm. and we had willie come out to the store because we were getting a decent amount of people showing up and he came out to the store had a blast and invited us out to pax that next weekend and well we went <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was Think crazy trying to get tickets and head out I, I i believe it i mean i've tried to plan stuff just even a month beforehand and i, I know it can get kind of crazy because pax is a packed crowd and it, it, it's it can be tough to get into sometimes yeah, it was absolutely amazing. It was the first time I've ever been to a pack, so that's awesome. I mean, I'm glad it turned out so well for you. Before we dive into that too much, though, uh, we'll, we'll obviously get back into it. But I want to take a look at your background, like kind of where you're coming from, in particular with games. Uh, okay. So where where did you get your start in gaming? Well, I've been gaming since high school. I sure. just picked up Magic in junior high. I played that for all through junior high and high school and a little bit in college i dropped magic and started doing board games and role-playing games in college okay and then i started back up with cards back when the wow trading card game world of warcraft trading card mm -hmm. game came out started playing that and started doing some play tests and enjoying that game and did a bunch of play tests for ultra pro and cryptozoic who were the creators and people who ran that game so where did uh, okay, for for those that might not know, you kind of mentioned it before, but you you own a game store. Yes, yeah, Where? I own a game store in uh, it's in Glen Ellen, Illinois, which is just outside the west suburbs of Chicago. Mm -hmm. It's TPK Gaming. I, I'm glad you kind of mentioned it. I figured you must have some history in like role playing games with <laughs> with a name like TPK <laughs> Gaming. I'm like, you'd be surprised how many people have no idea what that even means. We get asked the question probably three to four times a week. I, but I, yeah, I believe it. I believe it. I mean, I, I wouldn't really. I've only gotten into uh, like D and D mm -hmm. within the past year or two. Yeah, and so like if I didn't have that experience, I probably would have the same question. So, 
Yeah, well, for those who don't know, TPK is total party kill. It's basically when your DM ends up killing everybody, either due to <laughs> them throwing stuff too hard, or the group just not being able to handle it, or the group making lots of mistakes, as that happens more often than not. Yes. <laughs> the DM can be doing everything in their power to keep you alive, and sometimes the players yeah. just don't want to play along. Yes. <laughs> In any case, where where did that that game store come into play then? I mean, was that I mean straight out of college? Did you do that or? Um, no, actually, we've only been open about just over three years. When I was uh, I is that I was doing the World of Warcraft trading card game. I was one of their high level judges. I was also one of the larger vendors. Uh, we did online sales and stuff along those lines, and I would travel to events and deal in sales and cards there with a couple of the vendors and help them out. And as soon as that that ended, I went back to Magic and started trying to do a little bit more with Magic and doing that. And it's a little bit harder with Magic. I would just travel to events, and there's so many vendors for that, Yeah, that we decided that we had the opportunity to open a store, and the area we're in didn't have a store within about 15, 15 20 miles, give or take. Sure. Uh, so we decided to open a store there as there was a need. So we've been open just over three years now. Awesome. I like it. The store seems to be doing well, and I mean, obviously enough players to keep it going. Yeah, yeah, we get a big crowd for Magic, and we're trying to turn that into Lightseekers. So, as so we <laughs> we average about twenty people a week. I like to hear it. Yeah, that's one yeah. of the bigger crowds I've heard of. So that 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 kind of begs the question then, like, what kind of people do you see playing Lightseekers? Are they all? like former or current magic players or are you getting people that were just playing board games and bringing them over it's actually a super diverse crowd which is amazing we've got some people that came from pokemon came from yugo came from magic and have card playing backgrounds mm -hmm. we've got a lot of people that have never really played anything but board games and they like the fact that you know they like the art they like the simplicity of the the game that it also is as well it's being very simple it's also has a huge strategy to it a huge you know depth to the game if you take a look at it mm -hmm. but we've got is that we've got kids our youngest players are uh seven and eight that show nice. up for their for our nights and uh we've got you know we had one player this week that showed up in a business suit and you know and tie <laughs> and everything like that and he played so it's a, it's a huge diverse crowd yeah yeah that's that's great for the game absolutely is there anything in particular you would say that helps to attract new players or is there anything you're doing in particular i think one of the biggest things from what i've noticed is you have to have a local store buy into the game mm -hmm. once you have that local store buy in more players will keep showing up and more players will buy in because they see that there's a place to play they see somebody's behind it when you've got local stores that are just okay, we've got a little bit of products, you know, you can come in and buy it. People are more hesitant to do so because they're not sure if the game will last. They're not sure if it's going to be supported and they don't want their hobby and their what they're spending money on to just disappear. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's something I, I enjoy. And since I really enjoy the game, I push it on anybody I can see that <laughs> I think would enjoy it. And we just get more and more people involved in it. Because they're seeing a store that's super pushing it and that's, you know, that's investing their own money into the game. And when you have somebody that's confident in the game that's that's trying to sell you something, it's a little easier to pick it up. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a huge point in that, like, you are playing yourself, you, the store owner. You're not just yeah. saying, yeah, we got this product in here, buy it. You're like, oh, no, I'm, I'm I play a this game. I like this game. <laughs> I'm a huge collector. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a completionist, so I personally am working on play sets of the game. 
I have one complete playset of every card, uh, three buy of every card, and one buy of every hero in combo. Mm-hmm. And I am about, I think, nine cards away from a second playset for everything. <laughs> and mind you, that there, there's there's a couple of the toy exclusives I'm missing right now, but yeah, but yeah, the- I, I'm I'm big, so I've got my binders there. So people see that and they're like, okay, well, you know what? He's he's put this much money. I think I can invest something into it. Yeah, that all in all, especially with Awakening, like playsets can be hard to come by for sure. Yes, so. <laughs> I, I think I'm at 14 boxes Awakening for my personal collection at the moment. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, I have no doubt you'll get there with your your commitment, but yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely a journey. You mentioned kind of that just two to three weeks before PAX, you found out about this game. Willie came over to the store. Did you have any previous connection to Willie or was this the first time you met him? Uh, that was the first time we met him. We've talked to uh, our rep in the area who's Zadig. He's amazing. Yep. Uh, he's come in, done two or three demos. It took the third demo before I even tried the game out. <laughs> um, I watched some of the players try it and then I tried it out and is that I enjoyed it. And I told a bunch of people, I said, okay, like the, one of my other friends, the the guy you met there as well, AJ, mm-hmm. He was busy playing Warhammer when Zadig was running the demo that day, and I tried it out. I was like, okay, I'm enjoying this. I like this. And he came over, and he said, what are you doing? I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to tell you. Sit down. Shuffle up. And he looked at me very funny, and he's like, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> and he was hooked right then and there, too. So Yeah. But um, as far as Willie, we he reached out to uh, to me, being the store owner and everything else like that, through once I placed my first order – and he saw we were local. He's like, oh, you know what? Hey, we'll swing by for something. And I'm like, sweet. I'm thoroughly enjoying that. So him and his son came out and played some games. W- Willie is very good at what he does, even if he's off the clock. I don't think he's ever <laughs> off the clock, actually. But No. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, that does not surprise me at all that he came out to join you and got you to join us at PAX East. Yeah, as I said, it was it was pretty nuts. He came out. He was so confident. It was pretty hilarious. He was confident that you know he'll win every game he tried to play. And I don't <laughs> think he won a single game that night. I think that's how the story goes. <laughs> and then yeah he he invited us out and that was that yeah so you said this was your first pax i'm assuming as a game player and an owner you've been to other conventions though yeah i normally would travel to uh grand prix which are the magic's large events about every sure. two months um i've been to gen con geez more times than i can count i'll be going to my first origins this year for light seekers okay um and i'll be going to gen con again this year for light seekers as well but yeah as an before before opening the store, I would go to board game, you know, Gen Con and other stuff like that and smaller conventions in the area. And then once I opened the store, I started going to more, uh, more, you know, traveling a bit more for Grand Prix and other larger magic events. Fair enough. So when you got to PAX East, did you have time to explore the show much at all? Or did you just spend your time playing Lightseekers? It was a crazy weekend. We actually flew out Friday morning at about 6 a.m. I didn't get <laughs> off work till midnight and we left for the airport about three. So I got a little bit of sleep on the plane. We got there. We explored the convention during Friday, most of Friday um, outside of the turn, the sealed tournaments. Mm-hmm. And we wandered, you know, we, we demoed a bunch of things. We, we probably spent any time between rounds and when we weren't playing Light Seekers exploring, but it kind of monopolized most of our time. I, I completely understand that, yes. <laughs> How about you? Did you have a chance to explore it at all? I, I didn't 
although I kind of went in with that mentality, like I just wanted to spend my time with light seekers. Like I, mm-hmm. I knew there was a whole show there. I've been to PAX East before. I, obviously there's going to be new stuff every year, but I just knew that I wanted to spend my time with light seekers and, and yeah. find as many people and teach as many people and do whatever I can for the game. So, yeah, it was pretty amazing seeing the number of people that just sh- attempted to try the game out and, mm-hmm bought into the game that day it was pretty nuts yeah their experience at conventions is so good for the game like yeah it's unfortunate that like people have to pay so much and plan so much just to get to pax east but thankfully yeah it's it's good to see that people do show up that they're willing to try out new games and and they get into it like that yeah one of the guys i talked to that bought in was uh actually traveled from uh australia yeah, and wow. he bought in and bought a few boxes and was sitting there talking and him and Jacob had some reminiscing and uh, rivalry because apparently they're from different cities. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Jacob would do that for sure. All right. Well, I think it's about time we dive in a little deeper to check out what exactly you were playing with at PAX East. Well, before we get too far, actually, did you you said you played in the SEAL tournament as well? I did. What, what did you play? Uh, I picked the Storm deck. Okay. And how do you feel that went for you? Pretty well. I was luckily enough to top eight. I think I was fifth seed, I believe, in the top eight. Okay. That's, that's so. good to hear because, yeah, Storm is my favorite. I, I still have trouble getting into top eight, but that's just my play. Storm, think, so. Storm is a lot of fun. I don't think I – I think I opened two cards I added to the mm-hmm. deck in those packs. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah, as I said, I don't think many people added too many cards. <laughs> I'm still waiting on that, you know, pulling that thunder slug, and it's like, give yeah. one more, just one more. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that worked out for you. I'm glad you're a storm player as well. Yes, um, yes, it's amazing. But I keep trying to make it work. But <laughs> exactly, I, I, I've not given up on storm. I just have too much fun playing it. So no, that's that's my pet deck. That's my son's favorite deck too. Awesome. So I like it. Well, now for the constructed tournament, though, the, the, the big event, what we uh, got you into the show to play, I think. If you want to give me a quick rundown of the cards in that deck, and then we'll discuss it further. Yeah, so I ended up playing Cassini, uh, and it was a slightly different build than most people. I went the complete defensive route of, mm-hmm. I'm not planning on attacking you, I will just draw <laughs> cards until you die. So, did you want me to run through just all the card choices, or yeah, just yeah, pull deck list? Yeah, d- okay. just read them off, and uh, we'll, the, the deck list will be in the show notes later on, so people don't have to sit there and write it down now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, for anyone listening that knows cards well, this this works out pretty well, perfect, perfect. Uh, well, with the combos, I went with Stellar Fusion, uh, Reality Rift, Black Hole, Gravity Bubble, and an Anti-Grav Field, uh, which is really nice because it gives you lots of diversity. The action cards were the Umbron Informant, as I said, for card draw, Spectral Guide, once again, card draw, the Pathfinder, Shapeshifter, Sun Beacon, Sandstalker, Moonlight Burrower, Chimchu Lookout, Flying Fortress, all those were a three of. And then uh, one of was a uh, contactician and a two of blinding beetle. So a couple things I noticed with this right off the bat is it's what I call a very compact deck list. Like you have a lot of three of's. 
Yes, I like to run consistency. Mm-hmm. The only reason I actually even had the uh, the Yakona Tactician instead of the third blinding beetle was I didn't have a third blinding beetle there. Okay, I just didn't have a chance to get an extra starter deck to put it on. I literally opened um, those two 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 starter decks just to get the uh, blinding beetles mm-hmm. that Thursday night before we jumped on the plane. So that was all <laughs> I had at the store to to go with, and I didn't bother trying to find one when I was there. So yeah, that amazes me that it actually worked out like that. that that's feels like the deck I want to build. Like, are you so confident of these ten cards? I'm just going to take three of each of them. It was more or less like there was a lot of cards I didn't have. I didn't have a chance to put in. I haven't adjusted with, but it's you want to hit those cards. You want you want your card draw. You want your burrowers for card draw. You want your flying fortresses. So why not just run three of them if they're good enough? Yeah. You mentioned you were highly defensive. And yes, I I started looking at this deck and I didn't at first glance, I didn't see much offense or defense like it all felt like it was utility like card draw and buff removal and mm-hmm. like the the i mean i saw the flying fortress which is some attack but it's actually from the card draw yeah uh, and you got the well the tactician but you only had one of them for healing and that just seems so anti counter counterintuitive from what i've seen from other astral decks and so it was, it, it was really hard for me to grasp. I mean, as I looked into it deeper, like I started seeing like the, the sun beacon and the shapeshifter, which can kind of be offensive defensive at the same time. Mm-hmm. But how, how did you anticipate this deck playing out? So the very first deck I picked up was the astral because my son picked up storm mm-hmm. and a couple other friends each picked up the other colors. I'm like, all right, well, I'll go with astral because I always enjoyed the weird combo decks whenever I played in the other game. So I was okay. like, okay, we'll give this a try. And just right from the start, I, you know, I was like, okay, I love card draw. The more cards you have, the closer you are to winning. Yes. So everything that had card draw of any sort, I kept putting in the deck. And I was like, okay, well, there's Shapeshifter, which is card draw plus either damage or healing. Mm-hmm. And when you have about, I think I was running about 10 solar and I think I was at 12 gravity, you know, including the combos that hit both, you're going to be consistently hitting something on that. Sun beacons, heals, and damage. So it's I don't have to actually do any attacks. I don't have to try to get through your shields. I don't have to, you know, with people playing unruly mobs and those kind of cards where you don't want to attack into them. Yeah. Or um, playing, you know, there's another astral player at the store that was playing massive. Okay, you can't attack and you know, subjugators and stuff along those lines. I was like, okay, we're going to find a different way to actually get this game going. Yeah, I like that. I. People are always telling me, it's like, yeah, you just find a way to play around what everybody else is doing. And I'm like, well, how do you, how do you do that? <laughs> Where do you start? But you've definitely found a way, I think. It's like when you play a, a, a shapeshifter, yeah. like that, if I'm not mistaken, that's defend card, correct? Yep. I mean, yeah. I, th- I was going to say, I think I had 15 or 16 defend cards in the deck. Yeah. Which totally makes it sense was- when. Like I, I like I've seen the, the 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 few games I watched you play, the bulk of your attack seemed to be coming from the flying fortresses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, the flying yeah. fortresses are ten damage a piece if they fully go off. I, I, so multiple I, games I'll play a flying fortress and then just pass and draw, and next turn play something that lets me draw, and then you know draw as much as I can while that's in play mm-hmm. because you're trying to get that to fully trigger off before they remove it. Yeah, and again. 
the best thing in any game is card draw when you, you know, that's why half the time people are like, okay, I'll just pass and draw too. Cause they just want to fill their hand. Mm-hmm. And when you get rewarded for that, that's where you're going to, you're, you know, you're going to come at, get ahead of your opponent. Yeah. I, I remember a couple instances I saw you play and you managed to get the entire 10 points off the flying fortress in one turn. Yes. Like that, that just blew my mind. I'm like, I've never seen that happen before. I, I, but I think you could do it fairly consistently with the cards you have in this deck and how you were playing them. Oh yeah, as I said, I think the best I actually got in you know not trying to stack anything mm-hmm. when we were doing a little bit of playing for the game. I think in the tournament, I think I did you know forty something points of damage in one turn just yeah. off of you know a stellar fusion flying fortress. Mm-hmm. And when you hit that, what is it, reality rift to pull them back into play. And you hit, you know, two flying fortresses and the spectral guide pulls them back into play, gives you the additional action. And even just passing, you're dropping two flying fortresses <laughs> and you're drawing three cards just off of bringing two fortresses, a spectral guide, passing on that action and drawing off of the combo. Yeah. So, I mean, those two flying fortresses are going to be triggering for seven damage apiece. So that's 14 damage just in drawing cards. Yes, exactly. And, and, and that's where I really underestimated this deck until I saw it play out like that. Uh, the, the Stellar Fusion, as you mentioned, is a, is a huge component if you can get that out. Because yes. it, 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 I mean, it amplifies things very nicely by itself, but then when it's amplifying, like I said, multiple flying fortresses, like mm-hmm. it's just, it's killer and the big thing is with stellar fusion is it can't be removed if you have solar on top and Mm -hmm. the whole fact is you're dealing your damage off of drawing cards instead of actually playing cards so you don't have to worry about manipulating what's on top as much so it allows you to get around that which is the the biggest problem i've always had with astral is i i I, somewhere in that chain of events i'd always played the wrong card at the wrong time and all of a sudden it's thrown out, out of whack yeah well, the great thing is, you know, even if you have, you know, you have the Stellar Fusion in play hitting that, you turn action one, play the Flying Forgers, action two, you play a Sun Beacon. You're getting the eight damage off a of Sun Beacon. Mm-hmm. You happen to you happen to draw and discard a defend card. You're getting six damage off a of Flying Fortress. <laughs> you're looking at 14 damage off of playing a Sun Beacon right there. So, yeah, and, and, and that's it's the, the import- com- combo spikes that people can't deal with. <laughs> The important wording there on, on Sun Beacon that people always wonder, you know, why does it say draw and discard? Why didn't it just say, you know, discard? But it's for instances like this, when mm-hmm. you need to draw the card first to get your, uh, bonus from it being a defend card or something like that, mm-hmm. that allows you to do that. So yeah, Stellar Fusion. Well, it's stellar for sure. Reality Rift. You, you kind of mentioned one instance with like with a spectral guide and two flying fortresses. Is that something you ever try to set up actually to get those back uh, in that so order? So the nice thing with Reality Rift is you only are running seven buffs in the deck, okay. uh, which are the three spectral guides, three flying fortresses, and stellar fusion. So it doesn't make it too bad. You never really want to reality rift back in two uh, spectral guides yeah. and something else, just because that's always the lackluster. Their card draw, they don't actually do something on their on their you know on their own outside of that. Mm-hmm. But even hitting a flying fortress, a stellar fusion, a spectral guide, anything along that line. So you kind of do have to play around on how your how your discard pile is looking regarding uh, your buffs there. 
Sure. It, I mean, really, you, you almost just have to make sure that there are three buffs and that you're not hitting two spectral guides. Yeah. Like, other than that, I mean, like I said, it, 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 it doesn't matter whether they're combo or action buffs. It's just any buffs. Yeah. And it's your last three discarded, so they don't even have to be on top of the deck. They mm-hmm. can just be anywhere. That I mean, yeah. well, the last three. So, yeah, that, that's can be more powerful than I thought, especially with mm-hmm. limited buffs in the deck. Exactly. And I have no problem running out my Flying Fortresses into removal and i'll play spectral sure. guides and i'll tick them out as quickly as i can so they're the first things in the great in the discard pile mm-hmm. so i'll hit the other buffs quicker and i'll be able to pull those back instead of the guides i like it yeah that's that that seems to work out very well the, the other combo card that i have some question about like the gravity bubble it, mm-hmm. it's one that always seems very interesting to me it feels like it should be a lot of fun is this a card you got to play much? Um, I did. It's more of a uh, utility card. Mm-hmm. That's the nice thing I've noticed about Astral is half the combos, most of the combos I'm playing are all utility. I've got an extra buff removal. I've got this one, which is pseudo buff removal. Yep. I do have to eat all the ticks of their buffs, yep. but stuff along the lines of any kind of damage protection like wall of bones or anything like that i'm fine eating those ticks because they don't do anything exactly but it's great because i'll tick through a flying fortress i'll draw i mean even drawing a defend card and pat and not ticking out the last tick of flying fortress so next turn i can gravity bubble to restart that flying fortress is just great utility yeah uh, that's and it's it's a defend card to trigger on your flying <laughs> fortresses and it's damaged your target so of course it's a defend card yes that that's that that's great i i I guess I didn't think about it. if you if, if you play it at the right time, yeah, when when it's not going to hurt you too much, but just basically fly through their utility cards, their utility buffs. Yeah, is it? It's it's. I'll play even if they have no buffs. I'll play it to restart my buffs just to get those extra ticks on Flying Fortress. Yeah, and just you know that's an extra Flying Fortress you're playing, so to speak, because mm-hmm. you're getting to go through the whole thing right again, or get to go two of them through again. So yeah. So the the one thing I don't see a lot of is much healing in the deck. Like we said, you have the one tactician. You don't even have a lot of like damage mitigation so type of stuff. There's a lot of hidden healing. I don't think in most of the tournament until those last couple of games in the finals. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in those games, they really didn't do too much. I never really dropped below like 15 to 20 health. You've got blinding beetles, which heal you for three and can remove their um, buff removal cards. You've got the Tactician, which heals you. Sun Beacons heal for five damage apiece. The Shapeshifter heals for five damage apiece. So, I mean, you do have nine cards in the deck that are able to heal you. Six of them are guaranteed heals. Um, And each one heals, you know, the Blinding Beetles are the smallest at threes, and then the Sun Beacons are at five. So it is a decent amount of healing. I'll give you that, yeah. When you were playing, did you find, even though you, you, you kind you of described this as being a more defensive deck, perhaps just because it has so many defend cards in it, but did you find that ultimately you were able to knock your opponents down to zero, or did you just make the games last long enough that you could outlast them? So I never actually won a single round by deck. Okay. Um, I would always kill the opponent. It does a lot of, uh, as I said, 
in substantial damage through sun beacons and shapeshifters, you're doing damage there um, while trying to while doing your other things. There was quite a few times I played shapeshifter, healed for five, and dealt five damage. Sure. Once you land that stellar fusion, just your damage ramp is massive. You've also got Cassini's ability to deal, to discard for three damage turn. Yes. So it does turn your extra card draw, turns your Umbrun informants if your opponent has no cards in hand into damage cards. Fair enough. So I think you may have touched on that. You've made some changes since now. I I don't want to force you to reveal all your secrets if you're if you're planning on playing this deck in the future. But if you don't mind sharing, what kind of changes would you make to this deck? Um. Well, as I said, I think uh, the Yakona Tactician. I swapped that into a Blinding Beetle. The okay. third Blinding Beetle, I just like. I like three ofs. I like consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just always been a thing for me. If, if I'm willing to run a card, as long as it's not a utility type card, like a, like if you're going to run a weapon master, you're not going to run three of them because that's your utility type card. Yeah. But your cards that you want to draw, you know, you're wanting to draw them for a reason. You might as well run more of them is my point of view on that. Sure. There's another card that I didn't even own. I didn't even know existed because as I said, I've only been playing for a couple weeks by the point, <laughs> this point in time, which was the, uh, Chimchu infiltrator. Okay. Uh, he's actually pretty good. He's he's unfortunately an attack card, so you have to calcu- do your calculations correctly to keep enough defense in there. Um, he's also gravity, which you know is is healing <laughs> off of your shapeshifters. Yep. And uh, I've added, you know, looked at adding him into the deck. I think I'm running him currently as a one or two of in the deck, just trying him out and playing around with him. Sure. But I. I think I've played this deck once since the tournament just because I try not to uh, – I don't plan on bringing it and just to play casually with friends or at local constructed events. I've been playing other random decks. Just yeah. just fun. Makes sense. If anyone was looking to maybe try out this deck, do you have any advice, things to watch out for, things to uh, help them along the way? Well, as I said, the main thing is it's all about drawing cards. You need to find the cards you need. So it's – where most decks are, okay, I'll throw a couple attacks at you, I'll throw a couple cards at you, and we'll draw. I'll throw a couple cards at you and draw. Mm-hmm. You just want to keep drawing until you get what you need to start going. It's a bit different, so it's going to have a much different play style that people are used to. Yep. But otherwise, I thoroughly enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can see why. Like it's, it, honestly, I've said it before and I'll say it again, Like I just cannot stand playing Astro, but I kind of want to try out this deck and see how it goes. Yeah, Astral is is different. I originally was running a lot of like reality rifts and subjugators and paralysis bugs. Mm-hmm. And like playing those is great because you're adjusting what your opponent has to do, but they really don't do anything on their own. Yeah. So I was trying to find, you know, well, how can I advance board state? How can I advance my game while mm-hmm. messing with the opponent? Yeah. That so. seems, seems to have worked out quite well. So, yeah, thank you for sharing this deck with us. Thank you for talking through it. If people want to get a hold of you, want to talk about light seekers, want to find about, out about uh, events you have going on, mm-hmm. uh, wh- where's the best place for them to get a hold of you? Uh, well, you could do it on the light seekers discord. Uh, I'm TPK gaming on there. Otherwise, um, either through the stores page, which is TPK gaming store or uh, my personal Facebook page, uh, Nick Zimmerman. So wonderful. Well, Nick, thank you once again for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing everything with us. And I don't know what the next convention I'm going to be at is, but I'm sure I will see you out there soon. Yeah, definitely. As I said, I'll 
planning going to Origins and Gen Con. So if not, we'll see you there. All right. Sounds good. All right. And that's all we have for this week on Need More Buffs. A big thank you once again to Nick for taking the time to come on the show and for giving me a reason to look astral once again. The show notes for this episode can be found at deliverycrab.com slash 029. And if you haven't already, please take the time to join us on the Lightseekers Facebook group. You can find the group easily by going to deliverycrab.com slash Facebook. Well, now it's time for me to go make some more deliveries, but don't worry. I'll be back with more next week.